If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 7? Luke chapter 7. It would be page 940 in the Pew Bible. We are continuing a story that I started last week. The date is A.D. 28. Uh, the story in Matthew and Luke chapter, sorry, Luke chapter 7 takes place in a little fishing village on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee called Capernaum. And about nine, ten months ago, Jesus had made that his headquarters. And as we go to Luke chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus has just concluded his Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to go chapter 7, verse 1. Now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. And so when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation, and he has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I do not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And to those who were sent, returning to the house, found the servant well, who had been sick. So Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount, and he goes to Capernaum, and a centurion sends Jews to meet Jesus. Now the Roman centurion was a captain over about a hundred uh, men and um, Polybius, who was a Roman historian, and I love how he described the qualifications of centurions. They must be not so much seekers after danger as men who can command, steady in action, and reliable. They ought not to be over anxious to rush into the fight. But when hard-pressed, they must be ready to hold their ground and die at their post. End of quote. So a centurion had to be a man amongst men. And verse 2 tells us that his servant was ready to die. He was sick, ready to die. In the narrative in Matthew, it tells us he had the palsy. Now the palsy was a disease that was a paralysis with constriction of the joints. And it was accompanied with, an, with intense suffering. And in verse 5 we read that the Jews that came to Jesus said that Jesus needs to go to this uh, centurion and heal his servant 
because the centurion loved the Jews. I mean, after all, he had built them a synagogue. But there's a real possibility that the centurion built the synagogue for the Jews under cynical motives. Because if you study history, one of the things that the Romans did when they conquered a country or an empire, they would make use of, if the country was ruled by religious leaders when they got there, they would make, <clears throat> they would curry the favor of the religious leaders, they'd get rid of the rebellious ones, but they'd curry them because that was an easier way to keep the people in line. And of course, we know that the uh, Israel was ruled by the Pharisees and Sadducees and uh, they kind of kept the people under their thumb and so that's probably why he built them a synagogue and, and they said but they felt he was deserving now for most people being quote unquote deserving is the basis which would they expect prayers to be answered well God you need to answer my prayer because well I've gone to church for 20 years or you should answer so-and-so's prayers. But prayer is never answered on this basis. As a matter of fact, we learned last week that there are three biblical requirements for answered prayer. Number one, to, be, uh, to ask in the name of Jesus. Number two, to ask according to the will of God. And number three, to ask in faith. Those are the only three requirements. But I love this story, back to the centurion, because it's, it's a simple story. Prayer asked, prayer answered. I mean, that's it. The centurion, heal my servant. The answer, we'll read it in verse 10. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well. And I love verse 9. In verse 9, Jesus said this. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at the centurion and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. This guy had great faith. Now, you got to understand, he didn't have the Bible. He didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John that he could read from. He didn't have the Pauline epistles. Those wouldn't come till years later. And yet, Jesus said, I haven't seen such great faith like this, not in Israel. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of curious. What caused the centurion's great faith? Well, I found the answers. Let's go here to Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read you three verses and it gives us the answer. Then Jesus went with the Jews, and when, he was, when Jesus was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to Jesus, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I do not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. The key... The basis and the key to the centurion's great faith was his understanding of authority. 
See, the centurion related to Jesus from his own experiences. If his authority produced the results it did, how much more must the authority of Jesus produce results? Now, he may not have understood everything about Jesus. And let me stop here before going any farther. We don't have to understand everything about the Bible to get God to act on our behalf. I can tell you that right now. I've had God act on my behalf and meet needs and do stuff for us and I didn't totally understand it. Now God expects us as Christians, He tells us in the Bible that we need to study to show ourselves approved. We do need to study and mature in our relationship with God. But we don't have to have a PhD. We don't even have to have a bachelor's degree. We don't have to understand. There's a lot of things I don't understand. But if the Bible says it, I accept it. I remember we hadn't been in the ministry very long at all. I think we were, I was what, 30, 31 when we got into the ministry, 29, something like that. And we were at a youth meeting for the whole district, a whole bunch of churches. And um, it was for the youth. And I mean, the church was packed and there were people down the aisles and everything. I mean, it was just packed. And about 15 minutes before the, the, the service, the district bishop came to me and he said, there was a family emergency. Our speaker tonight can't make it. Will you preach? Yes, that was my reaction immediately. Uh, uh, okay, sure, fine. When the time came, I got up. I started to preach, and all of a sudden down the aisle came a woman leading a boy. Looked to be a teenager. Now, you got to understand, I'm new in the ministry. And so I just stopped. Said, can I help you? She said, yep, Jesus told me if you pray for my son, he'd heal him. He was deaf. Couldn't hear a word. Now, huh? I don't know everything about the Lord. I just know that in Matthew it said we lay hands on the sick and they'd recover. That's all I knew. I don't know anything. I don't have the power to do anything. You need to understand that. I've had people say to me, well, preacher, did you save some souls today? And my response is, nope. As a matter of fact, if I tried to save somebody, they'd probably be in worse shape than they were before I got a hold of them. I can't do anything. I just do what the Bible says. And I say, well, I'll bring them here. I'll pray for them. I it's her faith in God, not mine. I laid hands on the guy and I prayed for him. Just put my hands over his ears. And just, and I mean, it was a real um, theologically, um, doctrinally sound prayer. Lord, this woman says that if I lay hands on her son, you'd heal him of his deafness. And so in the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask you to heal him. I, that's all I knew. I, I, I told the lady, I said, would you go, go, go to the back of the church? In the meantime, this kid's eyes are getting big. And I'm wondering what's going on. She called his name out. And he began to cry and turn around and ran back to his mom. I didn't, I, we don't need to know everything in the book. We don't need to know that. All we got to do is... Say, well, Lord, I'll learn it, but I'll have faith. And so he may not have understood everything about Jesus. 
He may not have not understood Jesus' purpose here on earth. He may not have understood Jesus' position here on earth. But the centurion understood that his soldiers had to obey him because in his personage was the authority of the emperor. And so just when the centurion said a word and that word was accomplished, that centurion understood probably from all he had heard. If he was a centurion over that area, he had heard the Jews talking a lot about this Jesus and the miracles he had performed. And he probably had heard about all of this. And so Jesus, he all he knew was, okay, Jesus can probably speak a word then to, uh, to my servant and it would be accomplished. See, the centurion wasn't a Jew. That was one of the reasons why he didn't want Jesus to come into the house. He understood the Jewish religion. Jews don't go into the house of a Gentile. And so he didn't, he probably had little or no knowledge about Jesus is supposed to be the Messiah. I mean, if you read history and you read the Bible, there were people all the time coming saying, well, I'm the Messiah. But then they'd fall by the wayside. But he'd heard about this Jesus. And just as Caesar's power resided in him, the centurion recognized Jesus' authority under the command of God and all the powers and resources commensurate with that power, with that authority. He realized that from all the things he'd heard. And so hence this centurion was prepared to accept the word of Jesus as sufficient to heal his servant. He had implicit trust in the word of Jesus. I mean, because of his understanding of authority in his life, he knew that he could speak something here and something would be accomplished at a distant place. So the authority of Jesus was independent of physical contact. Just as he could tell a servant, do this and it would be done 20 miles away. Jesus could speak a word and it would be done. Well, pastor, that's great, but I'm not military. You know, as I studied this, it dawned on me, we should all have a good understanding of authority. When we are little kids growing up, we understood authority real well about the first time our backside got tanned a little bit, we understood. When mom or dad said, do something, we needed to go do it because residing in them was the authority to put something on our backside. And I never did understood how a hand on the backside could adjust the brain, but it seems to work just fine. And then as a parent, you understand authority. If you stop and think about it, you would tell your kids to go do something and it would be done. You understand that. If you've ever worked for somebody, you understand authority. Your boss says do something, you do it. Your boss doesn't have to be standing there. He can say, I need you to do this, and you get it done, whether he's there or not. And if you've ever had, if you've ever been an employer, 
And you folks who run farms and ranches, and you understand that. And I used to have my own business. But as an employer, you understand authority. You can say something, and absent of your physical contact, whatever you say gets done. And nothing has changed today. Understand that. Just as the centurion was free to, to come to Jesus and make his request, first of all, we're free to come to Jesus at any time. Do you ever notice that in the Bible? Jesus never turned anybody away. Well, you don't know what I've done. Jesus didn't turn away the woman who was caught in adultery. He didn't turn away the Samaritan woman. Listen, God doesn't turn us away when we come to Him. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 4 and 16 says this, So whenever we are in need, we should come bravely before the throne of our merciful God, and there will we, be treat, we will be treated with undeserved kindness, and we will find help. Nowhere in that scripture does it say, we can only come if we're good. Nowhere does it say in that scripture, we can only come if there's nothing wrong in our life. Nowhere does it says that. He invites us to come. And the name of Jesus actually carries the same, if not more, authority today than it did during the centurion's time. Because he's died on the cross and rose from the dead. So what's our struggle? Well, our struggle's several. Number one, we have to believe that we have open access to the throne of God. We have to believe that. Let me see if I can share something with you and, and help you to understand about the love of God. We, we talk about the love that is, is in His gift of His Son to us. But see, in the Old Testament... The presence of God could not dwell in an individual. In the Old Testament, the presence of God dwelt in the Ark of the Covenant. That's where it dwelt. In an uh, entity made by man, the hands of man. But Jesus loved us so well that he brought us to a point of where, in, and in the Old Testament, every now and then the Spirit of God would rest on somebody but not in them but once Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and we could then begin to confess him as our Lord Jesus said I no longer will dwell in buildings made by man's hand I'll live inside of you in other words when we make a profession of faith he loves us so much that he comes and resides inside of us that's what he does he loves us that much when we do something wrong, He doesn't leave us. He's still there. When we go somewhere and do something wrong, He's still there. When our mouth gets away from us, He's still there. He doesn't leave us. And so we have to believe that we have open access to the throne of God. I heard a minister say the other day, he was in a, 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 a town uh, away from his home church and he was going to preach. And something happened and he sinned. He did something. And he went back to his hotel room and he said, 
God, there is no way I'm going to go preach tonight. I am, I am not going to do it. I can't. And he said, he felt the Lord speak to him and he said, What's the matter with you? Why are you running away from me? I love you. Okay, you blew it. Confess it. But I'm still living inside of you. I still called you to preach. Go. God's perfect, but He uses imperfect vessels. Hey, I'm one. And our struggle is going to be that, first of all, we have open access to the throne of God and we don't have to grovel or beg or plead or do something special to try and get God to act on our behalf. We don't have to do that. Second thing is, we're going to have to believe that God really wants to help us. Well, why would He want to help me? Can I tell you something? After 47, 48 years of ministry, I don't know why He loves me. And I don't know why He wants to help me day in and day out, but He does. And the bottom line is, I accept it. Just like I accept, I don't know why that woman has stuck with me all these years. Just because I'm good looking and I'm humble and I'm intelligent and, I, and, and I'm wealthy. I mean, that's no reason to stay with the guy for all these years. I don't know why, but she does. And I accept it. And we have to accept that. We have to believe that God wants to help us. And then finally, we need to believe that He has the ability, the power and the authority to accomplish what needs to be done. You know, a thought occurred to me as I was going over my notes this morning. We so often times get caught up in our prayers and in our believing God. We look at a situation and if we can't figure it out, if we can't figure out the answer, then as far as we know, God can't do it. And yet, and yet, now get this, and yet, If we have a problem in life that's too big for us and we can't figure it out, what do we do? We go find somebody that maybe has better knowledge than we do in that area and say, Hey, I've got this problem. Can you help me? And then when they come up with an answer we didn't think of, we go, Hey, that's great. Thanks a lot. Boom, 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 boom. Guess what? God's got answers we've never thought of. To the children of Israel standing at the Red Sea with the greatest army in the world pursuing them to kill them and no trees to build rafts. What do we do? Start walking across. Boom! Dry land. I mean, to this, this army of Israel who's facing this huge giant and nobody wants to take him on. What do we do? Oh... God sends along. God's got the answer. Listen, God's got the answer. But we've got to believe when we go to Him, just because we can't see it, doesn't mean He doesn't have the answer. He does. I can tell you that after 47 years, He's got answers. We just need to come to God believing that He loves us, that He wants to help us, and that He's willing to help us. Yeah, well, pastor, that's, that's too simple. I mean, you know, that's only three steps. I mean, that's too simple. It wasn't for the centurion. He not only got results, but Jesus said, 
I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel. I guess my question today is, are you willing to believe the Word of God today? Are you willing to believe that God's given you free access to Him for any problem? And that He loves you and that He's willing to answer your prayer on the merits of His goodness, His grace, and His love for you, not because of anything you may have done. If you're willing to do that, then you'll begin to see prayers answered like you never have before. God will do things for you that you just, okay, God, you know what? I tell him all the time, that ain't no big thing for you, God. I mean, you created the heavens and the earth. What I'm asking is no big thing. Let me close with this story. We had left a, very early in our ministry, we had left a denomination, not because there was any problems. Okay, we were on very good terms with them. As a matter of fact, over the years, we still preach at their churches, but we just felt like the Lord wanted us to, to leave and hook up with another uh, mainline denomination. And so we had to go to face their licensing board. And it was in the back of a, uh, they were meeting in a room in the back of this real large church in Austin, Texas. And so we were, I don't know, three, four, five hours away. I don't remember how far it was, but we drove up there. We didn't know anybody. The only one I knew was my bishop who had spent time with us, talking with us, said, yes, we'd love to have you. Please come. It's the only one I knew. We walked in the church and we sat in the back. And regrettably, sometimes ministers are very unfriendly. And we sat there and uh, we didn't talk to anybody. And finally out of the room up, I remember the room was up front on the right hand side. They opened the door and they said, uh, Owen Childers. And so I went back there, I went in and spent, I don't know how long with them answering their questions and looking at um, my credentials and my education and everything. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I just know if, if they approved me, I would be licensed by them. But the nearest church from us was a little ways away and I didn't, wasn't quite sure what we were going to do in the ministry yet. From the time I left the back of that church till I got to the door, I had 14 ministers stop me and asked me to come preach at their church. I didn't know one of those men. I did not know one of them. But I'll tell you what I did do. Uh, I don't know. Let me write your name down. I'll give you a call. God. Not me. God. God has answers for you today for whatever you're facing. But don't go by what you see Understand that he's got answers. First of all, he invites you to come. Maybe this morning as we're taking communion, you can just say, okay, God, you paid for this. I've got a covenant with you. Let's pray. Lord, I appreciate you.
Appreciate your word. And Lord, you know I appreciate how much you love us. And I don't believe I tell you enough. I really don't. And I thank you for your word, and I thank you for how faithful you are to your word. We can count on it. In the 48 years that I've known you, you've never lied. Your word has never not come to pass. And Lord, if we take away anything, let us understand that first of all, you don't have to be here to perform your word. We can pray and just as a centurion knew that he could say something and it would be accomplished miles away. If we've got a son or a daughter that's not home, it doesn't matter. We can pray for them and you can take care of them wherever they're at. If we can't see a way out of our situation, you've got ideas we've never even thought of. You've got ways. And I just want to thank you for that. And so this morning, Lord, as we take communion, let us just kind of renew that and bring it up to you and say, here it is, Lord. And Lord, as we take the cup, I present it to you. I have a covenant with you and I present this problem to you. And Lord, I thank you that you show yourself strong in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.